0: Kind of excited this morning because I know, well, I always know the Lord wants to say something, but this day um, in particular, I know that I know that I know He wants to do something because um, I have evidence of that. Here's the evidence. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Kelsey, who's our worship coordinator uh, in Pleasant Hill, she called and said, hey, so on Palm Sunday, you're preaching, and I want to um, kind of step through the service order, kind of what we have planned, just so we can kind of get things in sync, and and I didn't have this message written. Well, I did up here. I didn't have it committed to paper yet, but I pretty much knew what, what I thought to, uh, the Lord wanted to say. Uh, and then she started telling me about the service order and the scriptures that would be read and the songs that would be read. She said, now, does that all kind of ring true? And I said, 100%. You're going to be blown away by what um, the Lord says because uh, he's already planned this whole thing out. And then I get to Pleasant Hill this morning. And when I just let, well, full disclosure, I didn't want to leave there after the, I really didn't. I wanted to, not nothing against you, uh, but I wanted to stay there. Uh, because the Lord is moving in a special way there and uh, uh, it's good. And so there's the evidence that uh, we already know the Lord wants to do something, but there's the evidence. So it's it's good stuff. So uh, this message is uh, on freedom. So the series is Jesus, a man and his message. And today's edition is specifically uh, about freedom or the fact that we're set free. And it occurred to me uh, many, many years ago uh, that I was free of a particular thing, stronghold in my life. And I'd been a Christian for technically a Christian. I think maybe barely technically a Christian. I don't know if that's possible, but, uh, but I said a prayer. Okay, put it that way. Um, many years before that, but I lived in bondage for many, many years after that. And when I finally surrendered to Jesus, when I was finally free I, just, I couldn't believe it. It was like, how have I missed this all these years? And I'd go around, our little church we started going to was about this size, and uh, I'd go around and, and, and tell people, um, just kind of, I was going to say foolishly, not foolishly, just kind of, I don't know, whatever, but I'd just go around and tell people, man, you can't believe Jesus set me free. I can't believe this. i got to tell you about it. I just I couldn't believe it. It just it, it's the difference between night and day. Just like, man, I am I can't how have I missed this all these years? This is awesome. And so that's what I want to share with you today is freedom. But today is also Palm Sunday as you heard from the scripture readings. And um that's the beginning of Uh, Holy week, the triumphal entry, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And so all four gospel accounts include that. So here's a reading plan. If you want to scan that, it's in your worship guide as well. You can scan that on your uh, phone sometime this week um, and read through the gospel accounts. Uh, this week. It maps out everything that happened every day uh, throughout this next week. As I said, every gospel includes that. But as I read through those gospel accounts this last couple of weeks, a thought occurred to me, and I've read those before, you have too, a thought occurred to me that had never, never uh, hit me before. And as I read through those, um, what I saw was this. I saw that um, people laid down palm branches. You bet they did. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But the palms in each gospel account are mentioned once. There's something else that's mentioned many times throughout each gospel account, and that's the donkey or the colt. And the thought that hit me as I read that was, so why isn't this donkey Sunday? Why is it Palm Sunday? (laughs) And, And I know why. I mean, we know why. Because donkeys don't exactly represent victory, do they? They don't exactly say, hey, this is a big, big triumph. Except in this instance, on Palm Sunday, on the triumphal entry, when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, on that instance, now donkeys do represent victory. They do represent triumph. Because a donkey was congruent with where Jesus was going and what he was going to do. He came humble riding on a donkey. Palms speak of victory. We know that. We know that in the uh, Roman world, uh, when emperors would return from war and there's a big celebration, they conquered another nation, or that when athletes achieved something, um, that they were celebrated oftentimes with palm branches because palms represent richness and provision and, and things like that. But imagine this uh, movie clip we just saw, Gladiator, go to that, yeah, imagine this now. So here's Maximus rallying the troops, they're about to go to war, and we've got all, everybody's decked out, we're all headed the same direction, and Maximus rides through the crowd, not on a horse, but on a donkey. Sends a whole different message, whole different message, when you're on a donkey versus when you're on a horse. But what happens on Palm Sunday, what happens during the triumphal entry, it tells us a lot about freedom, a lot about being free. But before we get into what it tells us, we need to define terms. So here's what freedom, well, let me tell you first what freedom is not. Um, Many times people feel that freedom is, I get to do exactly what I want with whoever I want, when I want, as often as I want. In other words, there's no boundaries, there's no borders, there's no restrictions. It's just I define what freedom is for me, and you define what freedom is for you. But here's the problem. I I get to talk to a lot of people throughout the week who um, are not living in freedom yet. Many of them know that. Some don't. And they'll tell you oftentimes that I do exactly what I want to do. And some of those things are not good things, they're not beneficial things, they're not healthy things, they're not productive things. They're even things that might be immoral, illegal and unethical, but nobody tells me what to do. I do exactly what I want to do because I'm free. Isn't that interesting? Here's the reality, what I like to tell them is, um, just gotta tell you the truth, you think you're choosing what you're doing, all those things, you're not choosing what you do, those things have chosen you. You're in bondage. You're not choosing those things. Those things have chosen you. How do I know that? I know that because if I look at Genesis, God tells Cain that sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In other words, sin has chosen you, sin has you in the crosshairs, it's just waiting for the right moment. Sin has chosen you. So freedom, here's what freedom is. Freedom is the result of our souls, which is our mind and our wills and our emotions, Okay, what we think with, choose with, and feel with. It's the result of our souls coming into alignment with God's will. Psalm 119 says, I run in the path of your command, for you set my heart free. Within within the boundaries of your word, within the boundaries of Scripture, of what you've laid out, that's good and healthy and productive, not just for me, but for all of us within those boundaries, I run free. I run in the path of your commands because you set my heart free. So freedom is a process of coming into alignment with God's Word. When we normally think of freedom, we think in terms of being um, released from something or creating distance from something or someone who we want distance from or we have some sort of a conflict with. Well, and that's, as far as the world is concerned, that is freedom. That's worldly freedom. But godly freedom is totally different. Godly freedom is not freedom from something or someone. Godly freedom, biblical freedom, is freedom to something. It's freedom to someone, of course, Jesus. That's freedom. That's when I run in the path of your commands. All right? That's real freedom. It's not about being separated from something, okay? Now, there's a big difference, and Jason kind of served this up last week. He started mentioning this, and I sat there, and I thought, oh, man, he's going to say what I think the Lord wants me to say. Well, he's a sous chef, as it turns out. He just kind of prepared it and handed it off to me, and so I get to finish the thought. When uh, I sit and conduct a Wellsprings of Freedom session, prayer session with somebody, I always tell them this. I always start with this. I say, there is a huge difference between being saved, being born again, being a Christian and being free. And sometimes those things happen pretty close together. Usually not. Sometimes, unfortunately, many, many, many years apart. I spent years probably a Christian, technically, on paper, but not free in any way, shape, or form, completely in bondage, not choosing the things I wanted to do. The things were choosing me. But I wasn't a victim. So there's, there's a big difference between being a Christian, having new life, and being free. And that's what I tell people. There's two key milestones in the life of a believer. One is the day you become a believer. The other is the day that you become free, okay? Not always the same day. Here are uh, some reasons why that often happens. And I won't go through all these, but uh, sometimes we're not free because there's hurt, unforgiveness. Uh, abandonment, maybe there's a spiritual reason, open doors, we like to call them, um, unrepentant sin. That's what impenitence is. It's a $100 word for I'm not willing to repent of my sin. Open doors would be um, things that I'm allowing into my life that are keeping me from the Lord, that the enemy is coming in and influencing my life family patterns, soul ties, sexual connections with people outside of marriage that I've never dealt with. Sometimes uh, there's a a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis of some sort, justifiable. That might keep you from from experiencing freedom. And then finally, just good old-fashioned maturity. You just need to walk the Christian life out for a while. Luke 2.52 says this about Jesus. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. Second, Samuel says the same thing about Sam, or first Samuel too says the same thing about Samuel. He grew mentally, emotionally, he grew spiritually, uh, and he grew relationally. The Bible says Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. And if Jesus learns obedience, and if Jesus has to mature, how much more so for you and I? So those are some reasons why sometimes there's a a distance between being saved and being free. Well, here are some examples from history, and I'm not going to step through those. You can read those on your own. But here's what I want to say about this. There is, in every one of them, there's a period of positional freedom before there's actual freedom. So And 1863, slaves in the South were free on paper, the Emancipation Proclamation, but that piece of paper meant nothing until it became federal law, and then it was enforced. Then it was actual freedom. And so there's a big difference between being free, being saved, and being free, okay? Here's what it looks like in Scripture. John chapter 11 says, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And what you have here is you have a man who's called to new life, which only Jesus can do, speak the word and and produce new life, but he's still bound, And Jesus looks to the people standing around and says, unbind him. That's discipleship. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Help people become unbound. Teach them to uh, help them to mature. Help them to be free so they can be mature. So with all that in mind, all that's just introduction. With all that in mind, here's three keys to freedom and a result. So three keys to freedom, and you and I can't pass any one of these. These are not um, optional equipment for believers. This is the way the Christian life works. To live in freedom, number one, you and I need to live in obedience. Need to live in obedience. Matthew says this, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. I'm going to pause right here. And pray. Um, But I'm not going to pray. I want you to pray silently. And I want you to pray along these lines. Uh, A couple things. One is, um, Lord, give me ears to hear, a heart to hear, because I can hear, but I need to hear. So give me ears and a heart to hear. And the second thing is to pray, if you're willing to, is yes. Because the Holy Spirit may ask you some questions as I continue on here and determine now what your answer is going to be. So pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the disciples went and did as Jesus had, had instructed him. And you know what occurred to me as I was reading this? I've always seen that. Of course, we see that, you know. But uh, for me anyway, as I've read this account, I've always just kind of blown past the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. Kind of like, well, of course they did. You know, what else are they going to do? Well, you know what else they could have done? They could have not obeyed. They could have been disobedient. Somebody told me a long time ago that obedience is doing exactly what you're told to do when you're told to do it. That turns out to be the easy part of the equation sometimes. Here's the third part, with the right heart attitude. Mm, yeah. Yeah, obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Now, what if these disciples, these two nameless disciples had a better idea? Hey, Jesus, man, you shouldn't be riding on a colt. You're the king. We're going to upgrade you to a full size or an SUV or say We're going to get you a good ride into Jerusalem. They didn't do that. They didn't have a better idea. They didn't have a better timeline. They didn't have a better way. Jesus, you know, they're, they're going to kill you. Don't, don't go in there. They're going to kill you. As a matter of fact, you know what you read? here. Just as an aside, you read later on in the Scripture, in the Gospels, about doubting Thomas, and doubting Thomas gets a bad rap, right? If you back up from this story in in the Gospels, Thomas is the one disciple who says, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, and Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, hey, we'll go with you too so we can die. That doesn't sound like a doubter. Sounds like a guy who knows he's resolute. He knows what he's getting himself into. But that's, that's an aside from this. These guys did not have a better idea. So if you want to be free, you have to be obedient. You and I have to be obedient, first of all, to the obvious things. To the obvious things. To the laws that, that we have and, and the leaders that we have. We have to be obedient to God's word, certainly, above all. We have to be obedient to God's word, That means we uh, obey the things we know, the obvious things that we know. It also means this. It also means that you're obedient to the little things that nobody else knows about but you and the Lord. There are things uh, that are not forbidden in Scripture, that are not immoral, they're not illegal, they're not unethical, they're not questionable in any way, shape, or form, but they're not for me. They're just not for me. And that's not a judgment on anybody else who does partake in those things, because you don't even know what those things are. Only he and I know. And you may have those things too. Here's how you acquire that. You acquire it the same way, um, uh, 1 Kings 19, you acquire it the, the, the same way that Elijah did, by listening for the whisper of God, just spending time with him and letting him speak to you. And sometimes that stuff comes in a whisper. It's not a big, bold deal. It's just, hey, between you and me, here's the deal. But when you hear that stuff, you have to be obedient to it. We have to be obedient. So if you want to be free, you have to be obedient. Psalm 123 says this. This is along the lines of listening and watching for the little things. Psalm 123 says as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy on us. So you get the picture, the servant and the maidservant, they're watching the hand of their master for any little signal. Because I know that, that master and I've worked for them for many years, I know what they mean when they point or they have a certain motion, I'm watching. Nobody else knows what that means, but we know what it means. And we're obedient to it. In other words, we keep our eyes and our ears focused and we stay tuned to the things of God. Stay tuned into things of God, into God's Word, into fellowship, into surrender, into prayer, into giving. We stay tuned into the things of God. And out of necessity, that means that we tune out the things that aren't of God, the things that oppose God. Tune those things out. Lay aside, Roman or Hebrew says, the sin which so easily entangles. So here's the bottom line: some people, some people enjoy opportunities that others don't. Some people enjoy um, uh, freedom that others don't. Some people have responsibility that other people don't. Some people enjoy blessings that other people don't. Why is that? Because these people are smart and they're wise, and they're educated, and they're wealthy, and they know the right people, and they're in the right place at the right time? Eh, maybe there's about that much of that. Here's why. These people are obedient. And God gives them blessings. God gives them responsibility. God gives them uh, opportunities that disobedient people don't get. Disobedience, here's a way to say it, disobedience opens doors that disobedience closes. disobedience, or I'm sorry, obedience opens doors at disobedience closes. Go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, and probably in every one of your Bibles, the heading over that chapter will say blessings and curses. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. If you go to jo- Joshua chapter 5 and read through the next probably three or so chapters, you'll see that played out in the life of Israel. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. So you and I need to be obedient if we want to be free. The second thing is this, to live in freedom, we need to live in humility. Matthew 21 says, finding a donkey took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is a prophecy from Zechariah about 700 years before Christ and Uh, just ask you to think about that scene, the triumphal entry. We've got Jerusalem, we've got the triumphal entry, we've got word that this this king is coming, whoever that might be, and he's going to set us free. And we've got all the people. We've got the people down at the street level. They're close to the action. And we've got the people from a distance, maybe watching from a hill somewhere. We've got the people who are a little closer. They're up on the rooftop, maybe, or a balcony or something, and they're watching. We've got just the common people. We've got the, the uh, people who believe Jesus is Messiah. We've got the Pharisees. We know they were there because the Gospels tell us that. And they even tell us what they had to say to one another. And then there's another group that was represented there that the Bible never says a word about. In these accounts. But they had to have a really, really unique perspective on this whole thing. And that's the Roman guards. There were Roman guards there all over the place with a totally different perspective than any, anybody else there. Their perspective was this they knew what it felt like in here, they knew what it sounded like, they knew what it smelled like, they knew what the air was like. When an emperor would come back after conquering another nation, when a king would come back and be celebrated, and there was all the pomp, and the, the, the celebration went on for several days there was all this celebration and everybody and everything was decked out and people would lay down these palm branches and these massive chariots would come in pulled by these majestic horses and the king uh, the emperor was seated up high so everybody could see him and he's all decked out and chained to this chariot are these foreign kings who've been conquered we're bringing in the evidence that we took these guys here they are They're chained to the chariot, and we drag them in, and this is is the Roman guards. This is their perspective on a parade, and then this happens. Then Jesus comes in on a donkey. And I can only imagine what these Roman guards are thinking to each other, like, are you kidding me? Is this like a Monty Python skit, or what? This is ridiculous. This is the lamest parade I have ever seen, that... Of all the bad luck, man, I got stationed in Jerusalem to guard the empire from from this guy on a donkey? you got to be kidding me. Here's what James says. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Uh, Probably uh, 140 years or so ago, um, a South African pastor by the name of Andrew Murray wrote a whole series of books. Every one of them, almost every one of them has one word title. One of them that he wrote was Humility. You don't even need to read the book. There it is. Humility. That's it. He says this. He says, Humility is the soil in which all the graces grow. Humility is the soil in which all the graces of God grow in our lives. And that's a truth because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. It's also a bit of a play on words because the word... um, Uh, Humble humility comes from the Latin and the Latin is humus and if you're a gardener or you're a farmer you probably know what humus is humus is that rich dark soil that's formed by decomposition dead animals dead vegetation things that have been just sitting there festering and after a while after the decomposition process kicks in now you've got good dark rich soil Things can really grow in there. And Andrew Murray is saying that when you and I are humble, we represent good, dark, fertile soil in which God can grow things in our life. But he's opposed to the proud. He stiff-arms the proud. So the way that I would like to, uh, in context of our scriptures today, the way that I would like to uh, describe humility is this. It's a constant emphasis on the donkey not on the palms. Humility is a constant focus on the donkey, on what you're called to, on service, on serving, not on the palms, not on the prize, not on the the blessings, although that's good. Because if I keep my eyes on the prize, then I might wander around and get off track a little bit. So that's freedom. Third thing you and I need to live in uh, if we're going to live in freedom is we have to live in surrender. Matthew 21 says this, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roof. And I don't have a lot to say about this uh, on purpose because the first thing that the Lord impressed upon me, I just... I just knew that, stop right there, don't even study or think about this anymore. And that's this. Very simply, they laid down what they had to honor Jesus. They just laid it down to honor Jesus. And they didn't have to go home and look for something. Let's see, what should I give to Jesus? I'll go home and find this, or I'll go over to my neighbors. Or find... They just looked around, here's what I have. I've got this cloak, I've got this prayer shawl, I'll lay that down. Here's some palm branches. We'll lay those down to honor the king. They laid down what was right there with them. They laid down what was with them. So here's a two-part question for you. Now, when I ask this, for those of you who said yes earlier when you prayed, remember that you said yes. It's not a trick. It's not a setup. First of all is this. First part of the question is, what do you have to lay down? There might be some things you need to lay down. Uh, the list earlier: hurt, unforgiveness, misunderstanding, things you've done wrong, or somebody is somebody is wronged you. Um, you know, some sort of a stronghold, a habit, maybe. So it might be those kinds of things. It might just be that that doesn't come to mind, but it's just me. I just need to lay me down. So what do you have to lay down? And the second part of the question is this, are you willing to make that available to Jesus? Just like the owner of the donkey did. Yes, take the donkey. He's yours. Just like the people did. I take off my prayer shawl, lay it down. I grab the palm branches, we lay them down. Because there's a difference between having it and acknowledging I have it and being willing to lay it down. So that's a two-part question. What do you have that needs to be laid down or what do you have that you're willing to lay down and will you do it? Will you do it? So don't miss this because obedience and surrender goes together. Obedience and surrender go together and you may already know what you need to lay down or maybe you're not quite sure. We'll just ask. Lord, what do you need me to lay down this morning? What needs to go? And finally, here's the response. Obedience, humility and surrender, they all lead to freedom. And freedom leads to authentic, spontaneous worship. Authentic. Authentic is the key word. Spontaneous worship. Here's what you'll observe. You'll observe that free people worship freely. People who walk in freedom just worship freely. I'm not talking about how they do what they do. I'm not talking about whether they're demonstrative and, and, you know, like that, or if they're just very quiet in the corner. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about motivation, why they do what they do, why they worship so freely, okay? About the motivation. Matthew 21 says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I didn't do that reading one ounce of service. Not one, and I know it. I did it on purpose. Because here's what Hosanna is. And it's going to get loud, Mr. Sound Person. Um, it's going to get real loud. so, But just for a second. Hosanna is save, save, save us, save now. Hosanna has an urgency to it. Not just, hey Jesus, would you, would you mind saving us? Hosanna is this. Save. Save save us now. Save now, Jesus. Save us. Save us. You see the people in the crowd just trying to get, you know, part people. Jesus, over here, save us. Save us now. You don't say, the people didn't say, hey, Jesus, Hosanna. It was, we need you, Jesus. We need you to save us. We need you, you to save us. Hosanna, when we moved to Omaha, we, we went to this church, first time we went to this church that became our home church, and it was a Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I'm minding my own business, you know, and, and it was uh, some worship, and then maybe a 10 or 15 minute little talk, and then, you know, lots of prayer, and I sat behind this guy, and um, somewhere during worship, and then this happened four or five other times through the evening, just spontaneously, no warning, no no nothing. Just spontaneously, he'd go, Hallelujah! Yeah. And, okay. Um, and so, I met him afterwards. His name was Dominic. I said, hey, Dominic, we just moved to town here. I don't even know what drawer my underwear is in yet. And we <laughs> happened into this church and got to know him a little bit. And I said, man, you you got to give a guy a warning, okay? I mean, you know, put like tape off a section for you or something, because that's, that's pretty bold, you know? And as you get to talk to him, he's Cuban. And once you get to know his story, you know what? If I'd been through what Dominic had been through, I'd probably be standing up yelling hallelujah too. Guy was free. And it's not, and God gives you discernment, it's not, in his case, it's not hallelujah, everybody look at me, look at Dominic. It was, hallelujah, everybody, look at Jesus. Yeah. Look at how majestic Jesus is. That was, that's Hosanna. Not Hosanna, look at me, I'm a really big deal. Hosanna, save us now, Jesus. Save us now. I'm in need of saving. I'm in need of saving. There's an acknowledgment of need, of desperation, of humility i ask the worship team to come. And i ask you to stand stand with me if you would, if you're willing, if you're able. Because as we close, I want to ask you something very specific. And for those of you who already said yes, here it is. Don't worry, it's not... nothing bad. In the uh, Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, in the tabernacle, and later in the temple, when people would come on the Day of Atonement, bring their sacrifice. So they travel to Jerusalem and they've got their sacrifice with them. There was, uh, in that building, in that place, there's a, an altar. It's called the Killing Place. That's what the altar means. Killing Place. It's where I come and I put my sacrifice before the Lord. And I've never read anywhere in scripture where when people came to the tabernacle or when they came to uh, the temple, I never read anywhere where they would stand in the back. Hi, Ashley. Uh, Where they would stand in the back with their holding their lamb, their sacrifice, and just whisper a prayer. Lord, forgive my sin. I've never read that anywhere. What they did was they came to the front and they offered their sacrifice. They laid down what they brought with them. What they had, they laid down willingly. They moved their bodies. And that's what I'm asking you for this morning. Move your body. You don't have to come to this altar. You can make an altar in the back. You can make an altar wherever, at your chair. I'm just saying, here's what what God says. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Test that. Test that. Draw near to him. Be purposeful and move your body. And lay down what you have. Lord, I make this available to you. Do with this crap in my life, whatever you will. Or this good stuff that I'm laying down. Do with it whatever you will. Now, I know there's a danger. As soon as I said that, as soon as I said that, I know because I'm human too, there's a spirit of rebellion in some people. And there's a spirit of pride. And there's a spirit of anger. And there's a spirit like this. I ain't budging. I don't care what that sucker says i'm not moving i'm not i'm not doing it i don't want i'm not going to look ridiculous i'm not going to be part of that i've never done it before um i'm not even going in the back where nobody can see me and do it because i'm just not not doing it and that's okay that's between you and the lord but let me pray lord Uh, In Jesus' name, I bind and I rebuke the spirit of rebellion uh, that wants to dig its heels in to every one of us who call upon your name today and keep us from laying down what we have to give to you. Lord, that spirit is in direct opposition to freedom. That spirit is in direct opposition to your spirit. And your word says that no weapon formed against us can prosper. That the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world this morning we have fought with the word of god which is the sword of the spirit it's mighty to the tearing down of strongholds and so we claim that in jesus name i claim that for this place corporately and each one of these people if they're willing they claim that for themselves personally i can't do that for them but in jesus name Uh, we uh, invite spirit of freedom here to overcome the enemy. Your word says not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. So we choose surrender this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Thank you.